Good morning, everybody. Glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, we're going to keep on talking about this Upside Down series. Um, and we all have tendencies that we live with and things that we do that maybe nobody else does, maybe a habit that, that you formed that you even think back to, you're like, I don't even know why that happened, why I do that. My daughter, Abigail, she's 12 now, she drinks water a lot, which I love it because I didn't drink water except for when I was playing sports until I was like 25 years old. So I'm glad that she's gotten in the good habit of that. What I will say, though, is she's, she always, she just takes a water bottle with her everywhere, just a plastic one that you buy at Sam's Club or whatever and throw it away and, well, recycle it. But she's got this weird thing about her where she'll, she'll be drinking, and if that cap falls on the ground, she will not put it back on the water bottle, and if somebody does, she will not drink the water. <laughs> okay, one person gets it. I don't get it. Okay, and so it's happened before where I've picked it up and I've put it back on the water bottle, and she's like, did that fall on the ground? And I'm, I'm a bad dad. I'm like, no, <laughs> of course not. It's totally fine. But we have weird tendencies. I've, I may have mentioned this before, but I had this thing where I, when I was a kid, I, I had to smile into the mirror before I went to bed I had to have my last image of me in the mirror be a smiling face. Because there's all this scary stuff about, like, I don't know, weird things in mirrors at night, okay? And so I would have my hand on the, on the light switch of the bathroom, and I would just give as good a smile as I could. And once I re- figured, okay, that smile is right, I'd turn the light off and I'd walk out. And it's why I have a really good smile today, because I've worked on it a lot. And so, like, I'd take a picture, and it's like, you know, it's really pretty. My wife... She has a tendency. Now, she's the greatest person I know. But she has this thing where she, she, she says this word, boughten. Boughten. It's not a word at all. But she says it with such conviction that you're like, yeah, that sounds like a word. So she'll say things to me like, hey, Kel and I, I haven't bought any milk for a while, so you probably want to get some when you go to the store. I'm like, that sounds legit. So I'm like, well, no, I just bought it some the other day, so we're good. And we just continue to make each other less smarter throughout all the years that we're married. We have tendencies, and some of those tendencies are just, they're unique to us. Some of those tendencies are like things that we all do. Like when you're writing out the word Wednesday, phonetically saying Wednesday, so you spell it right. If you don't do that, there's something wrong with you because everybody I know seems to do that. But there's another tendency that we all have, and that is a tendency to get mad at people for the smallest of grievances. Uh, I'm really good at that one. If there's anything I'm really good at in life, I think it's that. I, so we've got a bus stop on the side of our house, and it used to be that the bus stop sign was right on the, the, the light pole for the stoplight that was right there. Well, they decided to move it to, like, the middle of my yard, the bus stop. And so now people get off the bus, and they walk directly onto my grass. And then they, they tend to walk further onto my grass. And I get so, I'm like, I'm sitting in my living room trying to enjoy, like, a baseball game, and I'm watching people just walk in my yard. And I get annoyed. And I know I shouldn't because it's just blades of grass, but I do. Um, I also get annoyed with people who don't, who don't use their blinker. Like, I don't understand why you can't use a blinker. I, I've, I've never not used one. I mean, come on. But 
coming out of my driveway, when you're backing out of my driveway, there is a four-way stoplight right over here. So you're looking off to your right. And there's a bunch of things. I've been telling my wife, when my kids start driving, it's going to be a pain because we're going to have to teach them about 23 different things that they've got to be looking for. So you're looking at which lights are green, which lights are red, all this stuff. And then you're, the big thing you're looking at is the car right over here. And you're looking to see if they've got their blinker on. Because they've got the blinker on, they're going to come in. I've got to let them come in. Well, I see everything's fine, and they don't have a blinker on, so I start to back up. And I've been killed, almost killed, 13 different times, I think. Because the person didn't have their blinker on, they turned. And so then I'm in my car, and I'm saying a lot of words to them that they can't hear. Because the irritation level is just high. Because we all have things that set us off. Our human relations are, they get messed up more than anything because we, we can't deal with things that people do to us. And frankly, a lot of times they're things that we do in our own lives. We are so quick to anger. We are so quick to let that anger out in words. We're so slow to think through the things that we're, we're about to say and things that we're about to do and to consider a person's role in the situation. But I think the Bible is really clear on the fact that wisdom is found in doing anger completely differently than the rest of the world. I think our relationships could get a lot better if we'd learn how to deal with our anger in a way that opposes our human inclinations. Got a few scripture verses here for you. Proverbs 19.11. It says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 15.18. I really don't like this one. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. I like to be hot-tempered sometimes. James 1.19-20 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. As we continue going down this road talking about the upside down, we're going to look at a parable today that I think Jesus is, is trying to tell us really one thing in particular that I think can help our relationships. We, we have, in the kingdom of God, we play by a different set of rules than the kingdom of man. The rules are just different. Sometimes we don't realize what those rules are. In our world, marriages break down every single day. Relationships between kids and their parents go really difficultly sometimes. I just made up a word like my wife does, difficultly. I don't know if that's a word. Um, I'm actually pretty sure it's not. But friends betray, betray friends, and business partners, they, they cheat on, on, on their finances, and they get mad at each other. Bad things happen. We have the capability of being absolutely awful to each other. But I think that this parable we're going to look at, it really does give us the one and only thing that I think can help us with our relationships. I think uh, if we could all understand what this parable is really speaking to us, I think it would bring an, uh, an end to marriages dissolving. I think it would bring uh, an end to friends getting to the place where they just can't be friends anymore. Backstabbing and gossip would be a thing of the past. I think church splits would be a thing that we wouldn't hear about anymore. There's something groundbreaking in the parable that we're about to talk through. But I also say this. It's nothing that a lot of us probably haven't heard to some degree. Here's what my prayer is this, this morning. Things I've been praying for us this week is that something in this parable would illuminate in our hearts and our minds in a way that it hasn't before. 
that we would see the gospel, the good news of Jesus in this parable in a way that maybe we haven't, and that it could change our, our relationships. And the parable that we're going to go through is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And we find it in Matthew chapter 18. And it starts like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I want to bring a quick clarification on this verse. A lot of times this verse is translated 10,000 talents. Um, and I want to make sure to make that clear because I'm going to bring an explanation to that in a little bit, okay? Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Then, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled this debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, a lot of times when we read through this passage, or maybe you've heard this passage taught on before, we think it's all about forgiveness. And I'm telling you, it's a lot about forgiveness, but I think it has to do with all, every facet of human relationships, every kind of relationship comes down to this, this passage. Every marriage, every friendship, every sibling rivalry that's going on, every friendship, every enemy relationship. This parable is central to the good news. What I love about it is it's simple, yet it's upside down from what we see in our everyday life. Human beings get mad. That is one of the things that we do best. If you were to take a look at every broken relationship in your life or in the lives of the people around you, I'd be willing to bet that at least one of the people in that relationship were not able to step back, to listen, to calm themselves, and actually to see that there is a reason to extend some amount of grace to that other person. And what's the problem? Why is it that we do that? We tend to look horizontally for reasons to forgive rather than looking vertically. Tend to look horizontally around at the people around us rather than looking vertically. Now, if I don't have to forgive somebody, that is really awesome for me. Because when I don't have to forgive somebody, I don't really end up having to look at them like they're a human being who deserves anything. I'm able to maliciously say things about them, evil things about them to other people around me. I'm going to do whatever I can to kind of bring them down and to let the world know just how awful they are. If, I'm not, if, if somebody to me is unforgivable, I don't have to treat them like a human. And people felt like that in Jesus' days too. Now, Some of the, the teachers around Jesus, 
they thought that if a person committed an act of premeditated sin against you three times, that was enough for you to say, I'm done with them. And so Peter, when he said to Jesus, hey, do we need to forgive seven times? Peter might have actually been doing, he might have sounded like the good guy, like, Lord, I'll be willing to forgive seven times instead of those people who are three times. But Jesus, he goes above and beyond. He says, no, 77 times. 77 times. And really what he's saying there is, you have to forgive every single time, period. End of story. Because see, Jesus knows that we're not going to take the time to count down the 77 times that we forgive somebody. That would be ridiculous. So somebody does something to you and you're like, you know what, I just got to warn you, before I forgive you this time, this is 76 times. Like you got one time left with me. Okay, there was that time where you sneezed all over my dinner that I paid a lot of money for. I was gracious to you. There was that time where you took the last Gatorade out of my refrigerator. I go and take Gatorades out of my sister's refrigerator, and there's this app where you can send money, and I'll send her like a dollar and two cents just to, so I don't feel bad about taking her Gatorade, and I think it's funny. But, like, we don't keep track of our, the times that we forgive somebody. We're not going to do it 77 times. And so Jesus is saying, like, you really just need to forgive people. But it's not just about the number of times that we're supposed to forgive. It's actually, even more so, it's about the level of forgiveness. Because he starts with the number of times, and then he goes to the level of forgiveness. And what happens here is, he says, this guy, this servant, comes to the master, and he owes 10,000 talents. So, a couple things about those 10,000 talents. In Greek, 10,000 is, is really the highest number that they had to express anything. And so, Jesus is saying, he's giving people the highest number that they can think of, and he's also saying, in talents, it's the, high, the highest amount of currency that they have. So the biggest number that you can think of, that's what he's saying that would be owed. This is like, some, some commentators would, would say it's like 30 to 100 million days worth of wages for a servant, which is a ton. But there's another way that you can look at it. There was actually not even 10,000 talents of money in circulation in that country at that time. And so to put it in our perspective, we've got in the U.S. in 20, 2019, we've got maybe about $1.7 trillion in circulation in our country. So in our context, Jesus is saying that this servant owed his master maybe $2 trillion. That's a lot of money, right? That is, that is an unimaginable amount of money for us. Our country can't even pay that back, let alone a person. And so Jesus is saying this amount of money that is owed. This is a level of forgiveness that is beyond anything that you or I can imagine. And Jesus is saying that this, this master is willing to forgive it. But when it comes to relationships and my need to forgive, shouldn't it be a two-way street? Shouldn't there be, you know, shouldn't we both be working together? Of course. In a marriage, that's, you expect that you're working together. I've been married for 17 years in one day. Yesterday was the anniversary, and I've made it 17 years with her. She's made it 17 years with me. And we still love each other like crazy. Every day has been awesome. Um, I love that woman. But I'll say this. In 17 years, there have been times where she's actually said something or done something that has frustrated me. I know that's hard to believe because you're all like, yeah, she's way better than you. There's no way that, like, she doesn't really do things that are that bad. But in my own brain, I can find things reasons, to think that I've got a legitimate reason to be angry and to hold anger and bitterness 
towards something that my wife has done. But if we look deep enough into the situations that we find ourselves in where we're getting angry at somebody, we probably would realize that we are being stupid trying to stay mad and trying to play the victim card. And that's the kind of stupid that, that this servant was, was being in Jesus' parable. He had just been forgiven this debt that was like, to us, $2 trillion. And he is unwilling to forgive this really small debt that a fellow servant had owed him. Now, the truth of this is, he had been wronged. In this isolated situation, this servant was owed money by this other servant. Yeah, like, if I give you a loan, I should be able to expect that repayment. In an isolated situation like this, he had reasons to be upset. And I think that happens with you and me every single day. There's times where my wife has said things to me that it has rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe she's been all too honest about the bad attitude I've been, and it kind of stuck a knife in there. Maybe she said something with an eye roll, whatever. But something in me has, has been able to latch onto it and say, no, I'm mad at you right now. In isolation, some moments like that, maybe I could say, yeah, I have a right to be mad. But nothing in our life is done in isolation. For every time that you and I are wronged, the truth is, is we've probably wronged someone else just as bad. And even more so, we've wronged God probably way worse. For every time, I guarantee that for every time that my wife has done something wrong to me, I've done at least 100 things wrong to her. Guarantee it. But the truth is, is I want to hold on to my right to be mad in those moments. But I simply don't have a legitimate argument that can be made for why I should stay mad and not forgive. But here's something that's really important to understand as well. While I don't have a legitimate argument, even though my wife is way better than me as a person, she also doesn't have a legitimate argument not to be forgiving in nature towards me. Even if it's 100 to 1, the amount that I've done poorly with her. We are looking for reasons to forgive people in the wrong place. Too many times we're looking horizontally around us rather than looking vertically to what God has done for us. Yeah, you might be thinking, okay, like, I don't, like, it's not making sense what you're saying, this whole horizontal, vertical thing. Our human nature instinctively is we want to look around us at the people around us horizontally and hold them in contempt. And I think about it like a TV show or a movie where a lawyer is in front of a judge and he's saying stupid stuff and the judge is like, hey, if you don't knock it off, I'm going I'm to throw you, I'm, the court's going to hold you in contempt. And then the lawyer says one more stupid thing like, hey, you can't handle the truth or whatever, and, and boom, you're thrown in jail for the night. And that's what I want to do to people when they either make me mad or I think they do something to somebody else. I want to throw them in my tiny little jail made for tiny little evildoers and just hold them there. That's that's what our nature is, that we want to just hold on to these things. But there's a problem with that. If we're looking back at Jesus' parable here, was this servant wronged? Was he wronged by somebody horizontally to him? The answer is yes. This servant had another servant who owed him money. He, had done, he hadn't paid back a debt. He had that legitimate gripe in isolation, in this isolated incident. 
But Jesus' point in this parable was that the servant wasn't supposed to look horizontally to see if forgiveness was the right response. He was meant to look vertically to see if what his response to people was supposed to be. He was meant to see what is it that God has done for me, then how should I respond to other people? It's not about how the person horizontally to you has treated you that determines whether or not you should forgive. It's about how God, who is vertical to you, it's about how he has treated you that determines whether or not we should forgive people. Master, in this story, in this parable that Jesus told, he is a representation of God. And as a representation of God, he was willing to forgive somebody who owed essentially $2 trillion. A debt that is bigger than you or I could ever imagine. A debt that was literally impossible to pay. And that is what our sin is. Our sin is a debt that's literally impossible for us to pay. We can't repay it on our own. If we're looking horizontally around us, we are going to find things where we will feel that we have a legitimate reason to be angry and to not forgive. But this parable, I think, is trying to tell us something that if we don't figure it out, life is going to get tough, I think. The sins against you are not really all that significant compared to your own sins against God. The sins that people have committed against you in comparison to, to what to, to this debt that we have between me and God because of my sin, it's nothing. And it's an upside-down way of thinking for us to think that I should forgive somebody who doesn't, hasn't done anything to deserve my forgiveness. Why should I forgive somebody in that situation? But I want to say this. The moment that, that you or I decide that somebody is not worth our forgiveness, it's like we're telling Jesus, I don't really need your forgiveness either. Because the truth is, I've committed way more against God than that person has committed against me. And I want to say this. When we're talking about forgiveness, I think it's important for us to, to, to bring light to the idea that I think we can forgive people for anything that comes up in our lives, any kind of thing that happens, even abuse. But I will say this about things where there's abuse taking place. While I think you, we can forgive in our hearts what's, what's going on, there's also a point of we need to get ourselves into safe situations. That's a super important thing, I think, for us to understand. And as a church, we will stand always behind people in those situations. Um, but even in those situations, it's important that we learn to forgive from inside of our hearts the way that God forgives us of every single thing. <clears throat> tell you, one of, the one of the things that's most difficult for me is when people lie to me. I can't. Like, I cannot stand it when people lie. It's one of those moments when I realize that a kid is lying to me or a person, an adult is lying. Like, it's something in you wants to slap them in the face, right? It's just hard to take. But I also wonder, okay, why did the lie take place? Maybe, maybe they just didn't want to get found out, right? Maybe they just wanted me not to think less of them. I think that happens quite a bit with people. Um, not as doesn't make it right, but I also can look at it and then I can go, you know what, I've, I've done that with people. I've done that with God. God was still willing to forgive me in those situations. What makes me think that I'm better than God, that I shouldn't forgive a liar, of which I am? Maybe you can't stand your husband because you feel like your husband is always putting his own needs above your own needs. And it's gotten you to this point of bitterness in your heart where all of a sudden your marriage is, is just on thin ice. Well, then we got to think about our, 
our own situation? Have there, have there been times where I have put my own needs above what God wants for me? And in those moments, what, how has God responded to me? If God is gracious enough to forgive me, even of those times where I put myself above him, can I be gracious enough to forgive my husband or my wife when I feel like they're putting their needs above mine? How might your relationship with a spouse change if you start to look vertically at what God has done for you first to teach you how to respond horizontally to your spouse? Or maybe you can't stand your parents because they still think that they know what's best for your life more than you do. And like, it's, just, it's hard to even be around them. You just want to ignore them. You don't want to have to deal with it. But then you think to yourself, okay, there have probably been times where I have thought I knew what was best for my life more than God knows what's best for my life. And you know what? God kind of knows everything. And how has God treated me in those moments? He hasn't ignored me. Isn't it, isn't it a gracious thing that we have a God who won't ignore us even though we think we know everything? Is it possible for me to give grace to God for my parents who've done things that aren't even as bad as what I've done to God? Or maybe you, maybe you can't stand it when somebody's giving you a cold shoulder for what you think is absolutely no reason at all. You've gotten this cold shoulder, and now all you want to do is you want to you kind of give it back to those people. You want to you let everybody know that you can let know of why that person is unkind and unfair and all this stuff. Now, if you think about your relationship with God, how many times have I given a cold shoulder to my relationship with God? And how many times has he continued to be patient with me? And he's still there waiting for me every single time. And he's not wanting to wreak havoc in my life the way that I want to wreak havoc in somebody else's life who hasn't been patient, who hasn't, who hasn't given, been kind to me, who's given me a cold shoulder. Or maybe you've got a child, or you've got a coworker, or you've got somebody in your life who asks question after question after question. And there's, it's funny how these little things in our lives can really, they can grate on us and they can annoy us. Um, so I got, I got four kids, and some of them are little. I was with three of them. Abby, Sadie, and Finley were all with me this week because Crystal and Cameron went to Bible camp. And so we had a fun week, and Abby's awesome. She helped like crazy. It's nice having a 12-year-old kid who can stay home with the littles once in a while now too. It's awesome. But on Thursday night, we decided to go to Texas Roadhouse because the two littles absolutely love Texas Roadhouse. And it was awesome. We had a ton of fun. But I'm telling you, there was about 13,000 questions just during that dinner. It was like, Hey, Dad, can, when we go home, can we watch a movie? Dad, can we get dessert? Hey, Dad, why did you say hi to that person? Do you know that person? Where did you meet that person? Why, why would you say hi to somebody that you don't know, Dad? I don't understand it. Hey, Dad, I see that you got that Dallas filet. Could I have some? No, child. I paid $20 for this eight-ounce thing. I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to enjoy it. And so all these questions were welling up, and we get out into the driveway, and either Sadie or Finley asked another question. And I'm, I'm not proud to say this, but I told them, girls, when we get in that car, and by the, until the time that we get out of that car, you are not allowed to ask another question. I don't care what it takes. You're not. And it was kind of cute because they were back in the back, and I was like, man, I'm an awful person, but that's cool. Because they were like, and they just kind of kept closing their mouth real quick. Like they were so close, and then they, they wouldn't do it. But that was my annoyance showing through. We are annoying. Do you have that person in your life who like, even just the presence of them, you want to rip your arm off and throw it at them because you're, just, you're, you're at that point of annoyance with them. But is it possible that God wishes you'd stop asking silly questions sometimes too? Is it possible 
that God is frustrated sometimes by your monotonous and repetitive conversation with him. We think that God can't get annoyed with us, but I'm telling you, Jesus got annoyed with the disciples. He literally one time was like, how much longer do I have to be with you people? Sounds like he's annoyed. But if God can be gracious to me in those moments where I am obviously probably an annoying person to have to deal with, I could probably find grace for the people horizontally to me if I would just start to realize that God has that same grace for me. If my relationships and my friend, and, and if your relationships are going to be as healthy as they can be, I have to start to choose to see people with the kind of grace horizontally that God sees with me vertically. And one of the ways I think we can start doing this is by considering the ways that God treats us in similar situations. He is the perfect example of love and kindness and grace in those moments where we need it most. My aim should be to treat other people the way that God treats me. And that is completely upside down thinking. You know, one of the things that's said, and, and I think it's, it's a totally good thing to be said, treat others how you would want to be treated yourself. But I don't even think that's totally, that's not even the best way to treat people. Treat people as I've been treated by God. If I do something the way that God does it, it's never going to work out wrong. And here's, I think, another crazy thought. We've got this God who has, by what Jesus did on the cross, he's forgiven us of everything that we've done, all these consequences. And yet, in the midst of that, he doesn't hold it over on us. He doesn't say, you still owe me. But the cool thing is, I feel like we get the chance, we get the opportunity to pay Jesus back every single time that we show just a little bit of grace to somebody the way that he's shown to us. I get that opportunity to pay back that grace. The way of this world is to pay back wrong for wrong, but the upside-down way of Jesus is to pay back wrong with grace. And I know a lot of us this morning, we know this truth, but we don't speak this truth into the everyday situational moments that we go through. Somebody hurts us, and I don't speak this gospel truth that I've been forgiven of more than what they've done, and so I should forgive. But we get hurt, and we're like, I'm going to hurt back. But I think marriages can be saved by just one person saying, you know what, I'm going to end the cycle of hurt, and I'm going to extend grace where it hasn't been extended before. A child can be reunited with a parent if that parent's willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to act, react in the hurt that I feel but in the peace and in the calm of the grace that I've experienced from Jesus. It is possible for relationships to be made right, but the only avenue for that possibility to take place is through, through this road of grace. Now, unfortunately for this, uh, for this servant, at the end of the parable, he has to go back before the master, and it doesn't turn out very well for him. And I wonder, you just wonder to yourself, why in the world would this guy, after being forgiven of, like, equivalents of $2 trillion, why would he ask, why would he start choking a dude who owes him 100 silver coins? It seems ridiculous. But I think it's possible that this servant, what he was trying to do is he was trying to repay his king. He hadn't figured it out that his whole debt had already been paid. He really needed to do one thing. This servant needed to realize, he needed to accept that his debt had actually been covered for completely. And in turn, I think what would have happened is he would have started to begin to realize that he, all he needed to do was turn and go and do likewise. 
to show that kind of grace. This servant needed to embrace the principle of grace on his life. And I think about God in, in this story, in this parable, this, this master who is, who is God, he is so patient with the servant. He's long-suffering. He's willing to, to just suffer through all kinds of the servant's stupidity. But he has a limit. And that limit seems to be tied to the servant's ability to embrace the master's principle of grace and learning to give it to other people. A question for you this morning is, have you embraced the principle of grace in your life? Have you accepted Jesus' invitation to let him cover over the full debt of your sin? Are you embracing this principle of grace and extending it to people? Are you realizing just how much you've been forgiven of and realize that that's the principle that you're supposed to live by, giving that grace to other people? How might your relationships with other people turn around for the good if you did the upside-down thing and instead of looking for reasons why I can hold on to my bitterness, why I can hold on to my anger, why I can play as though I'm the victim, instead to turn that around and look at things the upside-down way, to embrace this principle of grace that God has given to you first, to give it to other people. Why don't you pray with me?